Welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today, I think it's going to be a short and sweet episode where I talk about how your can'ts are your clues when it comes to fatigue recovery. So this is something that I post about recently on social media, and I thought, actually, you know, this will make a nice little easy, I hope, to listen to podcast episode to get you reflecting on your own challenges in your fatigue and health recovery and how they can actually be really, really useful clues and supportive in your healing, not just merely the inconveniences that we often think that they are. Before we go into the full episode, I'll just pre-frame by saying I got a brand new laptop yesterday. My old laptop was, I think, about eight years old, and it was just getting so slow. It would crash at least once a day. I was constantly starting it again, restarting it because it would just freeze, and it was just becoming so frustrating trying to get a lot of work done and things being slow and clunky and constantly not working. So it was time. It was time to invest in a new laptop. But I always find new phones, new laptops really overwhelming. I think, you know, just when you're working your way around all the new technology or the new layout of different things and just getting your brain, obviously, to learn all of it, it's, it can be a challenge. As much as it's nice to have a fully functioning machine, it's also a little bit stressful because everything is new and I'm still working out all the little bits and bobs. So I'm hoping that the audio quality for today will be okay. If it's not 100%, I do apologize. Um, I'm hoping it'll be all right, but I'm just going to do my best. So I thought I'd just start by mentioning that. Um, but where I'd like to go today is first to just say how often when we're looking at chronic illness, what we're looking for is to identify specific triggers that we may have. And often it's a case of identifying all the different things that might trigger us in our day-to-day -day lives. And we avoid those triggers as a part of our health management. And actually, Avoiding triggers is a really important part of the process. Sometimes we need to reduce the total level of stimulation on the body and on the nervous system. And we just need to bring ourselves into a window of tolerance, into a sort of day-to-day -day level of capacity that feels manageable and feels achievable. And that's essentially what stabilizing the body is. That's the stabilization step of fatigue recovery. But if we just focus on trigger management all the time and avoiding our triggers, one of the things that can happen is that we get stuck and we stagnate because then as soon as we want to do something different or as soon as we're out of our comfort zone or as soon as we're in an environment where we can't control and manage everything, then the wheels come off and we fall apart. So trigger identification and trigger management are a part of the healing journey, but they are not the whole journey. We have to start to begin to deal with what's underneath those triggers and then help the body to facilitate healing so that we can then do more, get triggered less, and grow our capacity. So often when I'm working with people, at least when they initially come and work with me, 
they kind of know their triggers, they're managing their triggers, but they haven't reached that expansion point in time, or they've been trying to expand, but failing because they have they don't really understand fully what's going on and the mechanisms involved. When we have all these triggers and limitations, whether that's, you know, foods you can't eat, or you can't be in crowds, or you can't be in noisy environments, or you can't tolerate bright lights, or whatever it might be, often they can feel like a burden, they can feel like limitations, they can be frustrating, we can often feel just like a little bit broken inside, or we can feel really different, and like people don't understand us, and we are essentially to a certain degree have this invisible disability that makes kind of navigating day-to-day life pretty challenging. And I don't want to invalidate that because it's something that we all come up against as we experience a chronic illness or we have a chronic illness experience. But actually, the narrative that I would just like to offer up to you today, and you can decide if you want to take it or not, but the narrative that I'm offering is, what if we could understand the mechanisms behind these triggers or these symptoms? And what if they were, yes, limitations in one way of thinking, but superpowers in another way of thinking that help us to find our way to healing. They're like the bread trail to our healing. If we follow the symptoms and we follow the mechanisms and we just move forward with them one step at a time, could that actually be something that leads us in the direction of healing? Now, on the other side of that argument, we've also got the the brain retraining community argument, which is it's all in your head. You can use your mind to override the body. And therefore, we don't want to talk about symptoms. We don't want to think about triggers. We just want to do the brain retraining and override, override, override. And yes, I think that there is a time and place for that. And there are certain situations where that can be really beneficial. And I am a big fan of brain retraining. I think it it does amazing work for some people. But then I also have conversations with the people who fell through the cracks of the brain retraining methodology, shall we say. And there might actually be some more physiological work that they need to do as well to get their health in a place where then they can harness the full power of the brain retraining. So I am a fan of both. I'm a fan of a combination of the two and the right dosage for the right person at the right time in their journey. And I'll say it once and I'll say it a hundred times is that chronic illness is complex and it's nuanced and therefore it's really difficult to say this is the one size fits all approach for everybody with this symptom or everybody with this condition. It's much more about the individual and how do we personalize the support plan to the individual. And I just think it's really important that I say that. I think possibly because at the moment I'm getting a lot of trolls on my social media who are just like, you know, not really grasping that I can only give a certain amount of information in one social media post and I cannot touch on all the nuance and all the complexity and help every single person have their experience seen, heard, and tended to, it's Instagram at the end of the day. I obviously offer up a little bit more depth in this podcast, but could be recording years of podcasts and I'll never ever be able to help 
every single person feel fully seen, heard, and understood. Although I do hope that a lot of people do feel more seen, heard, and understood from listening to this podcast. And at the end of the day, I'm just a human being, do my best. So I digress. But where I would like to go with this is just to kind of list out some examples of things that I've been seeing in clients recently, because I think it's always helpful just to kind of make it a little bit more um, relatable and how these symptoms or these limitations that I'm seeing with my clients are actually really powerful pieces of information that are helping to define how we work together. And so as the title of this episode suggests, your can'ts are your clues when it comes to fatigue recovery. I'm going to talk about some can'ts and I'm going to talk about how I interpret each of the can'ts as a clue and what we would think about doing in that specific situation. So number one can't is somebody who can't fast, somebody who can't follow a low carbohydrate diet, who's dependent on carbohydrates, somebody who needs to eat constantly every two to three hours. This is this is a big one for me because this suggests that there is poor metabolic flexibility. Metabolic flexibility is our ability to use different fuel sources depending on what's available at the time. So in a fasted situation, we would use fat as a fuel. And that's one of the primary roles the mitochondria does. And in a fed or fueled situation, when there's ample glucose, we may use more glucose as a fuel. So if someone is dependent on carbohydrate or just dependent on regular eating, that's telling me that there's probably some mitochondrial dysfunction and they're not able to burn fat as a fuel source and they're lacking in metabolic flexibility. And if that's the case, it's very likely that their brain is not getting enough energy, the brain mitochondria are not working very well, and that's contributing to neuroinflammation and probably a lot of the other symptoms that they have. So the very first thing I'll probably want to do with this person is get them at least first and foremost to a place where they don't need to eat every two or three hours, then get them to a place where they're having less carbs, more fats and proteins with the meal. And then eventually see if we could possibly try a low carbohydrate diet, even get them keto adapted, and then eventually fast. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to do that all within a couple of weeks of working with them. That whole process might take us six months to achieve, depending on where they're starting from, what else is going on in their life, what other aspects of their health we're working on, the sensitivity of their nervous system to change. So again, there's so much nuance here. But if I speak with someone and they're saying, I need to eat every two to three hours and I need to eat carbohydrates, that's a clue for me that, okay, we know your metabolic flexibility is poor. Let's see what happens when we work with that. Another can't is somebody who can't eat animal protein. And I'm a big fan of getting clients to eat adequate protein. We need protein for our immune system. And a lot of the clients I'm working with are immune compromised. They're experiencing a lot of recurrent infections. They're quite weak. They're quite fragile. They, they need more protein in their diet. And yes, you can achieve more protein in your diet with plants, but that can be really tricky if we're trying to get someone also to eat lower carbohydrate. So I'm a fan of eating animal protein. And I know that some people may have concerns with that because of the environmental issues. And if you are one of those people, I think it would be really 
useful to do a little bit more self-education around this. A really great starting point is to read the book Sacred Cow. There also are some documentaries on similar sort of topic looking into things like regenerative farming, for example. So if anybody has concerns about eating more protein for environmental reasons, I would recommend that they source some regeneratively farmed animal proteins. This is where the way that the animals are raised is actually designed to regenerate the soil and to promote the longevity of the land. Um, the, this is where I, what I do when I buy my animal proteins. I use a company specifically called Piper's Farm here in the UK, and I get a week, monthly meat box delivery from them. So again, another little segue into sustainability. But if somebody cannot stomach animal protein, that is a sign for me that there's something going on with their digestion, possibly their ability to produce enough stomach acid. And that's going to be maybe really important in terms of other things which are going on relating to digestive health. So we know if someone's not stomaching animal protein, we have to take the interventions necessary to get them to a place where they can stomach it. Whether that is with digestive support, addressing digestive issues, and then titrating up the protein in a, a responsible way. And so here again, it's a clue that there are some digestive issues. And therefore, we know in this person's case, we want to be looking at addressing those issues. The same goes for inability to tolerate vegetables. Now, often we hear we need to eat a lot of plants. And I say that probably repeatedly on this show. But if someone's eating more plants and they're getting more gas, more bloating, more constipation, more digestive distress, that's a sign that there are some digestive imbalances. And if we're coming from this chronic illness fatigue picture, we know that the gut is something that we would want to work on. The same goes for inability to tolerate fats. I had a client who was wanting to supplement with fish oil, but she kept on getting those sort of like fish oil burps every time she was taking it. She felt really nauseous. I was like, whoa, okay, we know your fat digestion is an issue and that could be a liver or a gallbladder issue. Let's do a stool test to start off with, but those are some things we probably want to work on. And then again, my client had some hormonal issues. We know that fats are how we build our hormones. So we need to get this person being able to digest and absorb fat if we want to support the hormone imbalances. So again, the can'ts are the clues. What are the things you can't do or you struggle to do? And how do we get you to a place where you can do them? Another big one for chronic fatigue is exercise. Again, such a touchy subject, and I will pre-frame with chronic illness is complex and nuanced, and we need personalized interventions for the individual. So if somebody is trying to exercise, but they're getting energy crashes or post-exertional malaise, we know that that person's body is being overwhelmed by the exercise, which means that they are probably overwhelmed with oxidative stress, which means that they need antioxidant support and they need to, we need to get to the bottom of what is exacerbating the oxidative stress in the body. Commonly that's infections. Mold is a really big one, but it could also be nutrient deficiencies as well. When I've spoken about, for example, how to exercise if you have chronic fatigue, sometimes we need to support the health of the body 
so that the person can then tolerate the exercise. If someone has a very, very high degree of neuroinflammation, that's also going to affect exercise tolerance. When I'm thinking of this person's case, I'm thinking, okay, what are the things that are preventing this person from being able to exercise and recover? Do they have nutrient deficiencies? Do they need more antioxidants? What is the degree of their neuroinflammation? That's something I assess with all my clients. And what are the things that could be contributing to ongoing oxidative stress from an infection, inflammation standpoint? And then that's where we start with that person. So many of my clients come to me and they just say, I just want to exercise again. And I say to them, I hear you because that was me. For me, that was the biggest loss in my own fatigue recovery journey. But it took a lot of other work before I could exercise as I wanted to. Digestive work, mold work, detox work, nervous system work. So we had to address all those other little pieces of the puzzle so that exercise could eventually happen. So some of the ones I'm going to go into next are a little bit more brain health related. So if someone has noise sensitivity or they struggle in crowded environments to hear, to have a conversation because they're struggling to distinguish between the background noise and then the noise that of the person talking, that can be a sign of neuroinflammation. Neuroinflammation affects the neurons and holds them very, very close to their threshold, which means that they're much more likely to be overstimulated and to fire very quickly. And so therefore we have to understand, okay, there's neuroinflammation here. What are the possible reasons why this person in front of me would be experiencing that? Do they have an infection? Do Are they also someone who can't fast, eat low carb and needs to eat every two to three hours? Are there any blood sugar imbalances? Are there problems with oxygenation? Do they have circulatory issues? Do they have anemia? Do they have iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency? And starting to think about all the different things that could be contributing to this person's unique picture of neuroinflammation. And if we can address that neuroinflammation and exercise that part of the brain that is involved in hearing sound, the temporal lobe, then maybe we can start to get this person more noise tolerant. So we're looking at what they can't do. We're using it as a clue for what interventions may need to take place, support around neuroinflammation and training for that part of the brain. And then we can assess progress by, okay, is this person's tolerance for noise improving? The same goes for things like light sensitivity, That might be due to dysfunction in the autonomic nervous system. So we maybe want to think about how we can support the autonomic nervous system. Also understanding that the vestibular cerebellum feeds into or manages part of the brainstem. So if there's inflammation going on in the brain generally, then the body may really struggle to um, dampen its sympathetic responses. So yes, we can do somatic work specifically to support the autonomic nervous system and you know any other kind of vagal toning exercises, but we also need to make sure the brain is getting what it needs because 90% of the brain's job is to dampen the other 10%. So an inflamed and unhealthy brain is not going to do that effectively And then there's going to be autonomic dysfunction, and and that's commonly what we see in POTS-type symptoms. For example, standing, fatigue when standing. Fatigue and standing is a really interesting one because it's one I only learned about recently. I actually remember at the beginnings of my illness, before I was properly unwell, 
I remember sometimes just like feeling overwhelmed by the need to sit down. And this is something I can track all the way back actually to my early 20s when I was also experiencing some fatigue style symptoms. I remember my friends always used to make fun of me because she would go shopping or something and ask me to come with her and I'd come with her and I'd be like always just wanting to sit down. And she's like, but Anna, you're like a fitness person. Why are you so tired all the time? Why do you want to sit, just want to sit down? And now I can see that was actually a sign that my brain was really unhealthy. I had known better at the time and I had used this can't as a clue. I would have thought, okay, that's brain inflammation. What does my brain need? What do I need to train my body to do? I need to train my standing muscles, which is also something that I'm working on at the moment with the wonderful Brendan Turner from Raw Motion Fitness. We did a podcast together. I believe it was episode 50. So if you want to look at like specific training for postural imbalances that may be contributing to your fatigue, I highly recommend that you listen to that. So again, with some of these brain things, you know, if someone can't read, if someone can't listen to music, if someone gets anxiety in crowds, someone gets very car sick, if someone gets nausea and dizziness when there's um, moving objects or when they're in motion, motion sickness, those are all signs of neuroinflammation. So you may be like, oh, well, I can't go in a car unless I'm in the front seat because I get car sick, or I can't go and be to a music festival because I feel really anxious when I'm in a crowded environment. Those are your can'ts, but they're also your clues. They are saying to you, there's neuroinflammation here. And the next question we want to ask is, what does your unique brain need? And for the most part, it's going to need fuel, it's going to need oxygen, it's going to need good sleep, it's going to need some sort of movement routine, and the removal of inflammatory triggers and the support of anti-inflammatory nutrients. And I've done a whole other podcast on that. I won't go into more detail, but it is helpful to hear this information again and again and again. So those are just some of the can'ts that can be clues. And hopefully this has got you thinking a little bit more about what you are experiencing and how some of your can'ts are clues. And maybe there's a few little things that you're thinking, oh yeah, I can do that. Well, that's something I haven't explored yet. And so if you've got this far in the episode, maybe there's an opportunity just to write down one thing. You don't even have to do it, but maybe you could just do a little bit of research around it at this stage. Think about it and bring it into your awareness as a consideration. Then where I'd like to go next is just to talk about a conversation I had with someone recently on Instagram, which was actually insightful for me. So I'm going to tell the story and then I'll reflect the lessons of the story. Any of you follow me on Instagram, you may already be aware that I do a often weekly Q&A where people can ask questions and I'll just answer them in my stories. And somebody had asked in one of the Q&A sessions, do you know anything about chronic fatigue syndrome and elevated liver enzymes? As in, can chronic fatigue cause elevated liver enzymes? And my response was, well, it's not necessarily the chronic fatigue that causes the liver enzymes, but I do see a lot of elevated liver enzymes in a lot of the clients that I'm working with. And when there is liver dysfunction, because the liver is such a metabolically demanding organ, if it's not working well, that can be a root cause or an underlying contributing factor to the total picture of fatigue. 
And the person who asked the question came back to me and she said, that was actually such an empowering way of thinking about it. Because in her mind, she had kind of thought, I've got chronic fatigue syndrome, and then I've got these elevated liver enzymes, you know, what else is going to go wrong next? But understanding that this was actually something that was maybe a clue to her case completely shifted the narrative for her. So instead of thinking, oh, this is another thing I've got to manage, was actually an opportunity to ask better questions. What's going on with my liver? Is what's going on with my liver also related to my energy levels? Because if we're looking at liver dysfunction, we might be looking at some sort of gut dysbiosis, some sort of metabolic issues, blood sugar issues. We might be looking at some sort of infection. We might also be looking at some sort of toxic overload. For example, when I was living in a moldy home, my liver enzymes were elevated. So if we can start to ask the questions, well, why would these liver enzymes be elevated? We may start to get the clues that will help us solve the whole chronic fatigue picture. And so why I wanted to share this story is because this person asking this question and then reflecting back to me how it had helped her made me think that if she's thinking in this way, other people are probably thinking in this way too, as in the chronic fatigue is causing the hormone issues, the digestive issues, the joint pain. But I would, my thinking, which which is how I've always thought, but I didn't understand it wasn't how other people thought, was that, no, all of these other things which are going on, whether you have joint issues, whether you have hormonal issues, whether you have digestive issues, whether there's other sort of weird symptoms going on, they're all coming from various mechanisms. And those mechanisms could be there's some sort of inflammation. And when we're looking at inflammation, we're looking at food, toxins, trauma, and microbes. So are there foods that are contributing to your symptoms? Is there trauma, whether that's a physical trauma, like you broke a leg kind of trauma, or you had a brain injury, rather is a better example type of trauma, or some sort of emotional trauma or adverse childhood experiences, but also perhaps even wear and tear on the body from dysfunctional biomechanics, which is what Brandon and I spoke about in episode 50. All of those traumas could be contributing to inflammation in the body, food trauma, toxins like mycotoxins, heavy metals, toxins which are coming from your gut because there's dysfunctional microbes in there, and then microbes. So Viral infections, parasite infections, yeast, mold, bacteria, all of those are your inflammatory triggers. So when we're starting to think about hormone imbalances, digestive issues, joint pain, liver dysfunction in this case, all these things that sometimes come in the cluster with someone's fatigue, they're not separate from the fatigue. They're all related. And when we start to resolve the underlying issues, what's going on to be driving all of these imbalances, that's when we start to get traction on our healing, whatever that means or looks like to us. I thought that would be a really helpful thing for me to explain. Often people will ask me, for example, about painful periods, heavy periods, absence of periods, any kind of hormonal things, perimenopause, brain fog around their periods, migraines around their periods, headaches around their periods. And although I think looking into hormonal imbalance is 
important for some people more than others. Generally, what I see is that as we work on the body as a whole, these imbalances improve to a certain degree. There may be some specific stuff we need to do for hormones in specific cases, but very often when we're working on things like getting rid of infections, supporting the nervous system, supporting the health of the brain, optimizing blood sugar and blood flow, and all the things I've spoken about many times in many different ways on this podcast, then the hormonal issues or some of the other issues do all begin to resolve themselves. And then if there's anything kind of still niggling, like there is still something going on with the hormones or there's something going on with the joints or there's just a little bit of brain fog that's still ongoing, that's when we can go and we can maybe just do a little bit more fine tuning around those specific things. So that brings me to the end of the episode today. I thought it was actually going to be a short one, but I think we've been quite long actually. So um, I'm going to wrap this up and I will see you in the next episode.